This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, my name is Alice Hartley. I'm Director of Product Sustainability for Gap Inc. And what I love about fashion is that it's so relatable. Uh, no matter who you are, whether you consider yourself fashionable or not, we all play a role. And I think if we can harness that fact that it's such a common ground, that it can be a real force for change. Hi, my name is Gary Adams. I'm president of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. And what I love about innovation is the ability to use data to inform of the retail supply chain and also to drive change. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako, and of course, with us all is Mr. Pavan Ball. Hey, Pavan, how are you? Hey, Mark, I'm doing well. How's everything, buddy? Good, man. Good, man. Recording this particular episode during uh, the week of Christmas 2020. Kind of an interesting, an interesting holiday time here, given 2020 and just a different, different, interesting time. So I'm, you know, I, I canceled family plans yeah. for the week. Um, I think the, uh, you know, the flare up that we're having in New York and across the nation with COVID, you know, from a precautionary standpoint, of course, having a, a small kid, but secondary, I, I just need the break, man, from everybody, right? from everybody <laughs> and everything. I need like a week or two to just like reset. Um, see what 2021's got for us. I I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I I feel the same way. Not I mean I wish I was spending time with family, but it is a great chance to reflect back to. It's a great, resetting and reflecting are are good things. And you know, to me, that actually leads in nicely to introducing our our guest, Gary Adams, Alice Hartley. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I said, I said, reset and reflect for me was a nice segue because it kind of leads to the question that I'd like to start with this, this great collaboration between your two organizations and the, the initiative that, and, and focus that gap has right now. The question that I have is, is this amplifying things that have already been in motion or is this a reset in a way of saying almost where you, you you pause, you take a deep breath, you gather your strength and say, now we're going to do it this way. Like here's 2.0 version of what we were doing. Or is this just the next natural step in a momentum that was already going on over time? So I see it as turning up the dial on something we already have committed to doing. So in 2019, Gap Inc. committed to sourcing 100% of our cotton through what we define as more sustainable sources. And that itself was building on commitments that some of our individual brands had made. So Gap, Banana Republic, and Old Navy had cotton goals of their own. And so this joining the Cotton Trust Protocol is us saying that we want to get there faster and through this new avenue. It's definitely not new that we're sourcing U.S. cotton. We've been doing that for years. It is just that we now want to be able to, to trace it and know the details. So I see it as reinforcing an existing commitment and making it a lot more visible. I, I mean, to me, this is no small announcement. I mean, December 8th was the press release that went out saying that Gap Inc. joins the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol in their initiative essentially to 
their commitment, I guess, towards a goal of 100% sustainable cotton by 2025. You guys are a 16 plus billion dollar company. The ripples and uh, Gary, to, and we'll we'll talk about the coordination that's involved in this is no small endeavor. Can can you guys tell me a little bit about how much planning and when this conversation started in terms to getting to a point where you could even make such an announcement? I'm happy to start with that if you'd like in terms of, uh, you know, really the dialogue with GAP has been going on. Well, it's been going on for actually quite a long time. As, as Alice said, uh, GAP has, has long been users of U.S. cotton. Uh, if we think about what we're doing within the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, that's a new initiative that really we started working on about two years ago in terms of trying to put together the basics of a program that we felt like could drive sustainability forward in, in the U.S. cotton production and also provide to brands and retailers the, the information they needed, the, uh, the transparency they needed, the data they needed, the assurance they needed in their own sustainability journey. I would say as we've gone over the course of 2020, those conversations have only intensified with uh, with Alice and with the Gap in terms of them having a better understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and how what we're trying to do at the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol can hopefully contribute to where they're headed as a company. And and certainly we are just ecstatic to have uh, this partnership and this mem- and membership of Gap in the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. So we we look forward to to what the future holds for us. Yeah, I would agree with that. This conversation's been going on for a while. I think what's what's noteworthy is that we were the first retail brand to join the Cotton Trust Protocol. Uh, we're proud to have signed up first, but the dialogue's been there for a while. We met in person actually about over a year ago in San Diego. There was a cotton conference and a, a number of our peer brands uh, were also there discussing cotton sustainability. And we've been watching this space. I would describe it as, you know, we've been very interested in following the development of the protocol as it's been getting off the ground and as it uh, went through its first pilot and really trying to hold a place for this program in our larger vision of sustainable cotton. So really thrilled to now see it launching. You know, Alice, you've been with uh, Gap Brands and working towards their sustainability efforts for eight plus years now. So, of course, nothing new in terms of the thinking and the progression that you've been kind of building upon over your tenure over there. And I'm wondering, um, when when it comes to, of course, we're talking about organic cotton and traceability of the fabric itself, but holistically, how does this play into a larger sustainability initiative for you and Gap? Well, uh, sustainability for our industry is, it is materials and it's it's more than that as well. So we define it pretty broadly uh, looking at both social and environmental issues. So all the way back through our supply chain from what happens at the garment factory and every step in between there and really the source of our raw materials, which is where cotton comes in. And then we're also looking downstream and looking at what happens when that consumer takes our product home. What's the total life cycle impact of that product? Um, a lot of it you'll find it's in that, you know, what, how the consumer handles their product and the energy they use in washing and drying it over their life, life cycle. And then also what happens to the product at the end of its life. So we sort of broadly define, we take a really large view of sustainability, but materials are really essential to that. It's so tangible to the customer. Um, and so I think in working with our brands over the years and um, as they've come along on their, each one has their own sustainability journey. It's, I think it's materials that gets people excited because it's easy for, for designers and product people to really engage when we start talking about choices that they can make that can be better 
for people and planet um, when it comes to materials. So the, this cotton goal that we have for Gap Inc., it really it wouldn't have been possible if the brands hadn't gone first, really, and, and said to themselves, uh, we want to be doing something more sustainable with our materials. And probably worth mentioning, too, that cotton is our number one fiber by far. It's over 60 percent. Mm-hmm of what we use. If we were to add up all the fiber, which we do once a year and, and take a look at what our volumes are, cotton is by far the number one. So it's important for us to have a sustainable cotton strategy. And, and Gary, moving over to your side, you mentioned, um, of course, traceability being and data being a, a cornerstone of uh, how you approach these initiatives generally, right? What does that mean to you? Like, what, what type of tech are you using? I know this is a loaded question, uh, there's auditing, there's uh, technology, there's you know, there's platforms. But if you were to kind of wrap it up uh, as best as you can, what what does the the reporting side and the traceability side look to you? You know, I think that's uh, a good question. I think when we look at uh, what we're trying to do in terms of collecting it, I would say first starting with collecting information from our our cotton farmers that are participating in the U.S. Trust Protocol. So Alice mentioned the sourcing of the raw material. So that's where. A lot of our focus is is the raw material and, and cotton being so important to GAP. But as we look at you know putting our the collecting data from the farmers about the way they farm, the management practices they're doing, and then collecting data on a portion of their fields so that we know exactly what they're using in the terms of inputs. Uh, we know how many times they uh, make a pass over the field. So really trying to learn and understand how they produce the crop, because we can take that data and then really with some tools that we're using, really capture and interpret that data in terms of what it means in, on the environmental side. So really, at the, when it's all said and done in terms of the information that we try to pass to the brands and retailers is to know, okay, if you're using this particular type of production method and these types of inputs, what does that mean for greenhouse gas emissions? What does it mean for water usage, energy efficiency? Those, you know, those are the outputs that I think we want to, uh, when this is all said and done, that's the type of information we hope to be passing uh, to members like the GAP. How many farms do you have in the network? We started this in 2019 with a pilot phase that was around 300 farmers. As we moved into 2020, that was our really our first opportunity to try to expand uh, the participation on the farm level. Right now, we're about 550 uh, producers that are involved, and you know we're doing some rough estimates in terms of what that means uh, as their percent of the crop. I think it's estimated maybe right now 12 to 15 percent of production uh, might be accounted for by those producers when we talk about percent of U.S. cotton production. Off to a good start. Uh, still got a lot of work to do, but very encouraged by the start we've seen on the, on the producer side. Having a company, I mean, I there are not many brands that are bigger than Gap in this world. So having a company like Gap join forces in this initiative, what does that do now? What are, what are you expecting to be able to accomplish with this sort of foundation? Well, it, you're right. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, it's huge to have somebody like Gap, uh, particularly when cotton is such an important part of their business. I think it, it sends a lot of signals. One, when we go and talk to those cotton producers who are wondering, who are asking, well, why should I participate from my side of it or from the cotton producer side? You know, we can tell them directly, this is how important this is to the people you're selling your cotton to, because look who our first brand and retailer that signed up is, somebody as huge as Gap. So it's it's sending that message back to the farmer that they know, you know what they're doing matters and that uh, the supply chain is looking at how they're, how they're farming. So I think that's important. I think, too, from the textile supply chain and the 
the mills and the manufacturers that we want to get engaged. I think they also are looking to see the brands that are involved in the program. And so when they see somebody, again, as significant as Gap, that just reinforces, I think, the importance and sends a signal for them to participate as well. Yeah, I think there's an interesting paradox or tension there that uh, we don't buy cotton. We didn't buy a single bale of cotton last year. Um, and yet we use so much. We, we know we use it. We just There's a big sort of black box that happens between how it gets into the supply chain and then where we do pick up visibility, which is generally at our fabric mill. So that's what this is trying to shine a light on is understand what happens sort of between the field and our final product. Oh, that's a huge deal, Alice. That's a that's a huge shift in how you're doing your business and the unit economics at play then uh, across the entire organization. If sixty percent of the product is is cotton, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine the like, the, the supply chain <laughs> mechanisms that have to be changed or or yeah. put in place to make that even possible. What an investment this must have been or is, just purely logistics wise. Yeah, and that's why we're. It's going to be a process over time. It's going to take a while till we get to this this day where we can know exactly, um, you know, the, the physical path that the cotton followed. I think it's important to point out that we're using the mass balance method, which we can go into more detail on on how that works. So we're we're hoping that there'll be a day that we know exactly every step that the cotton traveled throughout the supply chain. Uh, we're not there yet. That's that's a, a long way off. Look, we, we spoke on this show with Nina Shariati, who at the time was leading H&M sustainability initiatives. And, um, she, you know, she was we were talking about just the amount of subcontracting that goes on in the manufacturing world, especially at that scale. And it's it's nearly impossible. But that is the mission, right, is to get that full transparency of that supply chain and no easy feat. So, I, I mean, I, I can only sympathize with the uh, enormous goal and ambition that you have ahead of you. Can you actually take a second and kind of geek out on what you mentioned about the mass balance uh, kind of uh, approach to all of this? Yeah, it's important to understand. So as we get into talking about traceability, there's literally dozens of technologies and platforms that are coming to the market. There's a lot of different ways people are trying to tackle this issue of traceability. And mass balance as a concept, it's, it's that we're tracking the, the inputs and the outputs and what happens in between, we are not trying to keep track of, if I can sort of try to put it in a sentence. So in cotton, it's, it's knowing that there are certain practices that are being used as the cotton is being produced. And uh, you think of it, the cotton produced from this program getting put into the sort of global supply, that is tracked. And then on our end, as a brand, what we're receiving at the end of the day is credits that are in proportion to the amount of cotton that we've kind of signed up to through the program. This is not new to the cotton industry. It's something that has been used in other commodity industries. I think uh, Responsible Soy was one of the first that sort of grew this mass balance approach. But the benefit of it is that it can scale programs really quickly because we're not trying to do the really difficult thing of tracing the entire journey of that bale of cotton through every set of hands that it passes through on the way to being in our product. We're supporting these programs in proportion to the amount of cotton that we are sourcing through them. Um, and probably a good analogy to help people understand is um, if you think of the way renewable energy credits work, right? So if I mm -hmm. sign up for my local provider that I want solar energy for my, my building, um, the electrons that are coming into my building and flowing into my computer, like nothing has changed about how that, that flow happens. 
but the the funding I'm putting into it, somewhere out there in the world, someone's building a, a windmill or they're putting up solar panels and it's increasing the supply of this more sustainably produced energy. So that can be a helpful sort of way of explaining it uh, for those who aren't familiar with how cotton works. Absolutely. And now going to Gary, though, your your priority is on traceability and transparency of, of the, the actual fiber and getting it in the hands of, I guess, that initial purveyor that takes it from there. What, what are you using from a tech standpoint? Yeah, so we're looking at, uh, you know, as we look at that, you're right. I think eventually we want to try to get as much transparency into the system as we can. Uh, you know, as we look at technology, we're looking at a platform where we can, you know, again, try to document and record the companies that are participating, the manufacturers that are participating along the supply chain. So we know the hands that it moved through. Now, tracking that you know, individual bail still becomes a challenge. And I think Alice really kind of portrayed it well in terms of, you know, a mass balance system, trying to assess just the, the overall environmental impact versus being able to say there's a, a specific bail that goes through all the way to the end user. But I think what we do want to see is an opportunity to bring some transparency to the supply chain to have the individual participants in the supply chain document what role they played in the supply chain so that that brand or retailer has some assurance about who were the participants in the supply chain. I think, you know, as, as we look at it from a, a longer term perspective as well, I think just speaking for the for the trust protocol, we would like to see the uh, the adoption by our producers, our cotton farmers to be so widespread that really we feel like we've gained such a large sample of the producers that eventually it becomes a focus of U.S. cotton in as viewed by all as being sustainable. And some have already made that jump, but others want to see more data, more verification. So I think we're trying to see how can we how can we scale the program so that we can eventually get to that point and focus on the fact that, okay, U.S. cotton gets to that, uh, that sustainability bar. Yeah, I think it can be helpful there to tease out the difference between traceability and transparency. You know, what Gary's talking about is, is both, that we want to understand better what's happening on the farm. We're a big company. We can't be everywhere at once. And so we need these programs that are effectively the eyes and ears um, telling us what's going on at the farm level or in production of, say, forest-based fibers. It's sort of similar depending what, what material we're talking about. And that's different from the traceability, which is trying to follow the path of that fiber all the way through the supply chain. Do you have some sense of how at what point Gap will find it useful to start communicating this to the consumer as part of their buying decisions? Because I imagine you have to get a certain distance with this beyond the kind of announcement that this is happening. You, you obviously have to show that this is uh, working to potential and sustainable in the model you've designed. And then you've got to think about the degree to which it affects buying decisions. So there's the what it means to the earth, what it means to being a responsible brand, uh, and all of those pieces. But then there's also how does it impact buying behavior? And surely it will. So at what point do you start to inject the marketing and storytelling and even the way that the brand is presented in store and labeled and all those things to start making consumers care enough? Where's that in the process just from a business strategy standpoint? Yeah, I think that question goes to the dynamic between what we as Gap Inc. sustainability try to see out there as the, the path and what's going to help our company be 
sustainable, prosperous, healthy into the future, and then what the brands do with that. So it, there's always a dynamic between where we at the central organization want to direction we want to set up for future, and then the speed at which the brands want to take up that message. So uh, we really leave it in their hands. We want them to do it authentically mm-hmm. and to speak to sustainability in a way that makes sense. It's really important that it becomes just integrated in who they are as a brand um, and that mm-hmm. they prioritize the things that make sense for them. So we don't dictate to the brands how they should speak to their customer about it, but we try to mm-hmm. prime the pump and give them um, you know, give them good stories, um, help them stay a step ahead of where, if, if just look at where the, the market signal is sending you, sometimes you can be too slow. So I think that's our role as Gap Bank is to try to look out there at the landscape and um, set a direction that then the brands at whichever speed they're comfortable with, according to their appetite for consumer messaging, that, that they can then pick it up. Yeah, Alice, there's got to be a ton of internal politics that go into making yeah. decisions like this from the top side. And, you know, I'm wondering what, like, how big of a win is it for you and your team over there uh, in order to push through an initiative like this? I think that setting the cotton goal was the bigger, not hurdle, but where we really needed to hold hands with the brands and then with our supply chain organization internally and say, this is the right thing to do. This program is going to help us execute to that existing commitment um, faster and, and with more confidence. So I, I think that was maybe the easy part. <laughs> the getting to the point where we were ready to put out a public goal, I think, was the, the groundwork that it took. And can I add one more thing to what we were talking about when it comes to traceability? Because <laughs> um, I don't know if I said that as clearly as I meant to. I, I think that there's there's multiple reasons to go after traceability and the consumer facing message part of it is just one of them, but it's an important one. And with our brands, they're going to be ready to speak to things like the origin of their cotton when we can give them confidence in making those claims. And and so what I mean by that is there are certain, we want them to be able to talk to how they support more sustainable cotton. And we can get a certain distance just talking about general commitments that Gap Inc. is making and then that the brands reinforce. But it gets much easier for them to talk about sustainability when it is something specific. So if we talk about you know, there's these identity fibers in our business, like uh, certified organic cotton or branded fibers like lensing, tensile fibers. Yeah. Um, so it's, or, or Supima is another good example. Mm-hmm. So there's a pretty strong message when they can say, uh, you know, here's the exact fiber and it's sustainable because, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. So it becomes more appealing to them when we can give them that kind of strong claim. Yeah, and look, there there's a there's a bit of a message here that it's also investing in the U.S., right? Um, you know, these are our farmers. These are you know, um, it, it's it's a community of people that need stability, right? There's a lot of risk and a lot of work that goes into providing this sort of product. Gary, what are the economic kind of waterfalls that I guess occur when um, more and more brands kind of tap into this program? You know, and I think as we talk to our cotton producers and, and again, about the importance of the program, I think, you know, a key point we try to make is that as more and more brands and retailers tap into this program, then that's opening up supply chains for U.S. cotton for trust protocol cotton. And so a lot of it is in, in tough economic conditions. And that's what we've seen in, in, in almost every sector of the economy, it seems, as we've gone through COVID. But I think as we look at you know, cotton farmers, 
Well, we stress to them, this is going to be the way to try to make sure there's demand for your product. We can, we can talk about the number of criteria that are necessary to make sure that you're meeting the customer's needs. And we used to focus on price and quality and timeliness of delivery. And, and really, those were probably some of the, the main issues that we talked about. Well, now it's making sure that sustainability is also met. So those requirements. And, and we say that's, this is a critical part of building that demand base for the product. And, and I think particularly Alice talked about you know, the goal that uh, the Gap has in terms of, of their uh, sourcing of sustainable raw materials. A lot of, you know, other companies are making those same projections out into the future. So we know this is only going to grow in importance. And I think that's kind of the, the economic side of this as well. Here is a sobering statistic. 60% of companies are without long-term internal communication strategies. Do you have one? An effective one? Here's another sobering statistic. Companies with communication strategies that work well result in returns to shareholders that are 47% higher versus companies and organizations with poorer communication. 47%. Here's what does work a communication method that successfully appeals to younger generations while also being adopted by older generations. It's the podcast. And as a result, more and more companies are making use of internally deployed audio content, which closely resembles podcast episodes. If you're a company with at least 50 employees, or you have a large number of strategic partners or retailers you need to regularly communicate with for training, updates, compliance, instructions, and more, we should talk. Please reach out to us at podcasts at mouthmedianetwork.com. That's podcasts at mouthmedianetwork.com. I do want to just go back to touch quickly on the traceability side with Gary and the technology that is leveraged, I guess, to to accomplish this. Uh, are you using, does RFID or even QR or, or blockchain creep up into your conversations? And if so, what, what combination of those solutions are you rolling out or thinking through? Yeah, that, that's a good one. And I think as we look at some of the technology, one of the things to understand also about uh, U.S. cotton and the cotton that is produced is every bale of cotton, which when we refer to a bale of cotton, that's approximately a 500-pound block of cotton. I was, I, I, was, I was hoping for that, by the way. I was waiting for the right time to ask what a bale, exactly a bale is in terms of measurement. Yeah, so, okay, so we're talking about 500 yeah, pounds? So we're talking about 500 pounds when we talk about a, a bale of cotton. We produce anywhere, in, given the year, we produce somewhere between 16 and 20 million of those 500-pound bales. In the, in the U.S. cotton industry. But the interesting thing is to note is that each of those bales go to, or a sample of each of those bales goes to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, where they analyze it and they provide all of the quality characteristics for that fiber. How long is it? How strong is it? So that the customer knows what they're mm. buying. But so I say all that, that's a long way to say that there's technology in place and there's a very definite tracking system that says, okay, we know exactly how many bales of cotton were produced in the United States. We know 
each of the gens that those bales came from. So I think that's a, a first step in terms of some of the technology and the traceability is to know that we have this system of identifying each unique bale of cotton. It's not one bale is not necessarily interchangeable. We know them all uniquely, and I think that's uh, that's important. Now, as we look at the actual platform that we're building within the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, you mentioned blockchain technology. I will say it does have blockchain technology as an underpinning. Uh, I will not, uh, and I won't go any further in talking about blockchain other than that. I leave that to the IT people, but that's, uh, that's a little bit of the technology that's going on as well in terms of how we look at how the data will be handled. Yeah, that's an important one, right? I mean, um, to have a ledger that is uh, safe and secure, I think, um, validates the entire process. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd say, on, if I can add to that, on, on our end, as I mentioned, our visibility usually goes back to the fabric mill, um, maybe the spinner, if it's a vertically integrated operation, and then we lose the chain from there. So what's happening is there's this this space in between the, the gin and where we get information again, where we lose track of it. So that information that Gary's talking about, it's getting lost right now because we're, we haven't been able to make that bridge so we'd love to be able to take that data and then associate it with things like QR codes and that and associate that with our product. But there's some gaps in our capabilities to do that today that this is going to help to, to start to address. Um, but there's still the thing about traceability in our industry is it's not rocket science and it's been done elsewhere. If you look at something like pharmaceuticals, they can tell you very specific information down to the batch level of where a product came from mm -hmm. because people's lives depend on it. Those solutions are out there. I think there just hasn't been the demand and the economics to justify it of getting it into our industry. Well, well, I mean, that comes with regulation in the pharmaceutical side, right? So beyond it being a risk to the, the end consumer in their market, it is heavily regulated, right? So they, they are required and they have some hefty penalties to your point that Make them pay attention uh, to those or adhere to those uh, those yeah. rules. Where do you where do you see? Actually, that brings up an interesting conversation. As we see a change in administration, and notably to an administration that is more sympathetic to the environment, how do you see that affecting the work that you're doing? And what type of considerations are you thinking through as we move into January and beyond for the next four, maybe even eight years? So I'd love to hear Gary's perspective on this. For our part, I think we've been proceeding as if we aren't going to count on the federal government to provide the the carrot or the stick towards sustainability. We've been operating as if we just need to lead the change that we want to see as a business. So if we have to continue doing that, we will. But I would hope that we maybe have some more positive incentives in the next four years. I think one thing we're, we're interested to see with the change administration uh, is probably I would anticipate a, a, certainly a stronger focus on climate change. And I think where does where does that go from the opportunities for some of our cotton producers as we look at what we're trying we were doing with them in terms of the data that we're collecting? Can that be uh, an opportunity that if there are you know, things moving forward on car carbon markets or climate change provides some opportunities for producers to adopt new technologies? For example, that's uh, I think an avenue we're interested to see how it unfolds. Gary and Alice, you know, it seems to me like one of the one of the byproducts of leading is that others may follow. And Alice, you know, you you mentioned so aptly that Gap is one of the leaders in this charge. 
as more and more brands, especially given the pandemic, frankly, have been looking and reassessing themselves and getting woke a little bit in terms of thinking sustainably, as more and more brands start to think about this and start to look at even sourcing domestic and you know sustainable cotton and, and following your lead, I would imagine, and please tell me I'm wrong on this, I would imagine there's a finite amount of production that American cotton farmers can actually produce and produce following the right sustainable protocols and, and all of those things that may be able to grow, but it would take time to to get to the point where that ex can expand dramatically. So maybe right now there's plenty of supply, but what happens when more and more of the fashion industry starts saying, hey, we we're going to do this too, and there's only so much of that cotton to go around? Tell me I'm off base here and I don't understand how the in, that industry works, but I, I'm wondering how you're thinking about this in terms of, you know, there being other buyers for this, more buyers for this cotton and only so much to go around and the time it may take to expand that supply. Yeah, well, we hope that happens. We hope that demand increases and that um, us joining the Cotton Trust Protocol does send that signal that we hope that this is something that others will sign on to as well. We've always taken a portfolio approach when it comes to sustainable cotton. So the way we've defined it is four programs. So certified organic, recycled, BCI, and then verified American grown. And this is where the trust protocol comes into our definition. And that's mm -hmm. been really intentional because we need to allow ourselves some flexibility given the way cotton flows around the world and supply and demand and needing to meet supply in certain regions. Um, so that's been very intentional is to have some flexibility in that definition so that we can go through any of those channels to meet our 100% sustainable cotton goal. And how about, how about you from Gary, Gary, from your standpoint, of course, that's Gap's uh, position. I, to Mark's point, I mean, um, I think the the goal is to drum up as much demand as possible. When does the supply hit a point? Can it can it grow? Can it expand? And how far can it expand at this point in the U.S.? Well, and, and, and it can expand. I think, you know, as we look at what we've initially got enrolled in the trust protocol, said we're about 550 producers. We've got about 15 to 16,000 cotton farms in the United States. So I think we've got some adoption to go with other producers and getting them on board. And that'll, that will certainly take some time. I do think too, if, and we hope certainly other brands will join the program. We think they will. Uh, that's going to build a demand base for sustainable fibers. I know Alice made a good point that uh, they have a portfolio of fibers they're looking at. I think that's probably the uh, the case for a lot of brands. And, and we know there's a list that would be considered a sustainable or responsibly produced fibers. We just want to see the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol on that list. And I think, too, you know, if the market signals are there, we have seen our farmers respond and, and they've been able to move, say, some of their acreage around from one crop to another. So I do think there's probably the potential to increase that production a bit if the demand base is there. Yeah, that, that's going to be important. I mean, that means about 5% of the U.S. farms or so are mm -hmm. attached to this protocol. Um, so there is a significant level of expansion that's possible in order to get folks on board with, well, brands on board with the protocol to then drive the demand to allow other folks to okay. kind of jump in or incentivize other folks to, to jump in or other farms when I mention folks. Now, going back to the incentives from the government side, I mean, what are the conversations, Gary, that you're, I mean, this is, this has to be so topical 
right now uh, in the sense that, you know, things like EV, for instance, right? The, the It's carrying the stock market practically over the last two months, three months since we've had um, an election decision. What are the conversations that you're having with farmers? What are they expecting out of the government in terms of support and then also in terms of potential regulation? Well, I think uh, for a lot of them, it's it's kind of a wait and see attitude in terms of what we can see. I do think until you we get a better sense probably of some of the how, you know, some of the other spots in the administration, how those get filled. Also, then how do we see control shake out on the on the Senate side? That's still yet to be determined. So it's it's a little difficult to say at this point. But I do think I go back to the point I made earlier. I do think some of the the focus that we're seeing on on climate change, I think that's a you know, that that's an opportunity. I think they also you mentioned the regulatory side. They they always clearly watch the regulations and they understand responsible regulations are necessary. Uh, I think also they always mm-hmm. trying to find that line between, you know, what's what's a necessary regulation and what becomes overly burdensome. So Alice, let me ask you this. Uh, of course this initiative is for Gap essentially committing to shifting towards 100% sustainable cotton by 2025. This is just a piece of a larger pie that you know, your department is spearheading and working on um, for a pretty large conglomerate of companies. And when I say large conglomerate, I don't mean in the number of companies, I mean in the the, the revenue um, and the impact that it has. Yeah. So we look at sustainability across a whole spectrum of social and environmental impacts. We have some big priorities around climate. For example, we recently set a science-based target to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions 30% by 2030. And then on water, that's another huge pillar for us. We achieved our goal in 2020 of saving 10 billion liters of water in manufacturing um, between 2017 and this year. So what we're looking at now is how do we ramp up that water goal and set what's we think of as a context-based goal is our way of setting that one on a more ambitious path. Look, a white t-shirt takes 300 gallons of water to produce, right? Like, how are you even thinking about, do we even include dyeing in, in those processes? Is that a brand level decision or is this guidance coming from your side? Yeah, it's it's a collaboration between both, I would say. So uh, what we as Gap Inc. do is think about the entire footprint of the company. And when it comes to water, our previous goal on water just looked at manufacturing. So dyeing and finishing finishing things under our more immediate control. And I think what we're likely to do then is now is expand the scope of that and think all the way back to the raw materials and what is the water footprint of producing um, our three big ones. So cotton, polyester, and then um, cellulosics. Yeah. So water shows up in fibers as does climate and the impacts of greenhouse gas emissions um, and waste. We as Gap Inc., our role is to try to set the tone and ambition for our company as a whole. And then the brands are playing their part in taking, hopefully, taking their sustainability priorities and looking at how they roll up into these larger, ambitious Gap Inc. goals. Um, But it's always a bit of a back and forth between what the brands then want to prioritize for themselves. And, uh, you know, we hope that there's substantial overlap with the Gap Inc. goals. Great. Thank you. All right. Uh, this seems like uh, no better moment than this to uh, move on to our final segment of the show and the most fun, possibly. And that's off the grid questions right up to this. Every business has at least one big pivotal moment. The moment when you say, OK, we're at this turning point, so... Then what? I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of 
LN Accounting Advisor. I hope you'll join me each week on my podcast, Then What?, as we talk with successful business leaders who push past their business's biggest then what moments and succeed in an even bigger way because of effective leadership and solid business practices. It's inspiring and deeply useful information for any entrepreneur. Subscribe to Then What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business all right alice and gary we've learned a lot about uh the work that you're doing but now it's time to get to know you as humans with a round of personal questions we call off the grid questions because it's a kind of frankly off the grid a little more personal in nature and we uh we solve the uh inevitable problem of the order of who jockeys to ask the first question with a spin of our wheel of grid destiny i'm going to give the the wheel a big spin and the first question for alice and gary is from puffin there you go puffin okay so if i were to paint a large paintbrush stroke across what you both are setting out to accomplish on gary on your side you're you're a collection of community right you're you're driving community and you're advocating for community and alice i think you're you're saving things in the sense that you are saving, whether it's it's water impact, uh, whatever it might be. So I'm wondering uh, if you look back to your earlier childhood development, um, what are things that you took a priority on saving, Alice? And then Gary, yours is going to be more community focused. So what are early kind of um, areas in which you've gathered community in your life? If I take that question kind of literally, I definitely saved a lot of things as a kid. I was a little bit of a pack rat. So I think that's, I've always just had a, an eye for, for waste and wanting to kind of collect things. So I think that I've maybe just oriented that way. Um, I always felt like you never know when something's going to be useful. So I would uh, kind of collect little bits of, of material and yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's always been like something I have to train myself to, to purge. Um, I often call my mom a hoarder. I'm not going to go ahead and say that I categorize <laughs> you as a hoarder, maybe a repurposer. Um, but, uh, it sounds but like a sounds like you have common She is the repurposer. <laughs> and, and Gary, how about to you? Oh, good question. Trying to, trying to think about a community. I grew up in an extremely small town. So it was like you knew the entire community. I was grew up from a large family in an extremely small town. So my dad was one of 15 children. <laughs> so it was like an entire community when the 75 to 100 of us of uh, aunts, uncles, cousins got together literally on Christmas Eve. So that was that was the community when I was growing up. Wow. And where, where did you grow up? In the very southeast part of Alabama. Fantastic. So you might tell a little bit by the Southern accent. <laughs> and how, oh wait, now I'm curious, how many cousins do you have? Oh, goodness. I I was have lost count. That had to be probably oh, 30 or 40, I would say. I mean, it was just... Okay, so I'll refrain from the next question, which would be, can you name them in reverse chronological order? But <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll oh, skip boy, right oh, through oh, that oh, to okay. Mark's, yeah. Mark's question. <laughs> Couldn't right. name them at all. Well, we yeah. think it's going to be me. Let's spin the wheel and see where it goes. And the first... 
it comes to me. It does come to me. That was very good prognostication there, Proven. Uh, my question, I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, Allison, Gary, what would be a viewing or listening pleasure? So it could be a movie, a TV show, or even like a podcast. Or, or I'll, even, I'll, I'll even leave it to reading uh, perhaps a, a book or a magazine that anybody who knows you would be very surprised that this was a guilty pleasure of yours that 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 like they would never imagine that you are gary uh you know are an avid bachelorette fan for example or, so, or let's come on 90 day fiance okay exactly fiance. I, i've recently become uh, aware of that show by the way so alice and gary what is a uh would be a very surprising revelation of something that you really enjoy Totally fine to enjoy, but it just doesn't seem to be smack in the bullseye of who people think you are. I think it surprises some people that one of my guilty pleasures is Martha Stewart. I, I really love to read recipes. Um, so mm-hmm. I will just sit on the couch on Sunday morning and read cookbooks and read Martha Stewart magazine. And that's my little escape. Nice. Now, Alice, are, do you take that from just an enthusiast or are you putting some of the, the learnings into practice and are you big kind of at home doer, maker, uh, cooker? Like what's... Yeah, I, I like to make things. I definitely cook a lot, especially now in, in the pandemic. I've been cooking even more than I usually do. But yeah, I'm, I think I'm pretty crafty by nature um, and I like to watch things come together and produce like something. If you can make something beautiful every day, then I feel like it's a good day. Awesome. And Gary? All right. I would say that probably just kind of developed this in the last few years that my wife and I have really gotten into Broadway musicals. Oh, yeah? So that was not something that, you know, growing up in Southeast Alabama, you ever really think about doing, but uh, right. really come to it. What was, what was the catalyst? Uh, it was either having first seen Jersey Boys or Wicked. And I can Both go classics. Back and, like, I know they are. And that's, Wicked uh, particularly. Wicked is insane. Yeah, Wicked's. Uh, that's probably my favorite. I'm a little more partial to Jersey Boys just because of the uh, just really liking the music that's in there. But uh, I think that's it. Hamilton was good. I mean, I could I could kind of go through several of them. But, now, have you, you seen know. anything on Broadway itself? No, I've not. So that's it. You know, post COVID, that's our that's another of our to do list is to take that trip to New York and actually see it. We're, we're fortunate here that we have a theater in Memphis, which is where I live now in Memphis, Tennessee, that we do have a Broadway series that comes through every year and and that's it's been kind of our our getaway for the last few years is to do that well put wick put wicked on top of the list exactly Um, there there is nothing like being really in new york on broadway and seeing a big spectacle broadway show that's got all the bells and whistles and just blows your mind like when i saw um and I, i know this is not one that a lot of people would think about but when i saw uh rocky on broadway yeah. Of course, the movie famously ends in a in a big fight sequence. They actually recess. They move a portion of the audience up on stage onto bleachers, and then somehow get rid of those chairs. And a ring drops from the <laughs> from the ceiling wow. down into that space, and this entire. You know how you go to sports stadiums and they have the big, like, you know, the, the, the TV screens that are hanging from the ceiling with all the lights and the scoreboard. And that kind of comes down and you just can't believe that this is happening in front of you. Like it's, it's such a 
an accomplishment in production mechanics that that this can actually occur. It's so mind blowing. You don't yeah. even care that the music wasn't that memorable, but the <laughs> but the fight sequence, you know. And if you couldn't guess it, Mark has a lot of ties to Broadway. I, I can I, 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 I will <laughs> say, not, not to blow the podcast, but I will say that when we've had the opportunity to sit really close to the stage, say within the first two or three rows, and you can see the actors and just the effort they're putting in yet they make it look so effortless i think when you you know realize the singing and dancing it's pretty amazing talent well thank you uh very much both of you for those answers and for joining us Uh, what's the best way that people can connect with you or follow along with the initiative and everything that's that's going on so everything we're doing in sustainability the best place to learn about it is our website it's gapincsustainability.com and we keep track of all our goals and our progress to our goals there. And then just personally, I'm on LinkedIn. Don't really do Twitter, but um, I do keep up with LinkedIn. Thank you. And Gary? And for the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, I would also say the website, which is trustuscotton.org. And if you go there, you'll see a lot more information about the program. You'll also see uh, links to our other social media accounts. So I encourage you to check that out. Awesome. Well, an amazing collaboration, so much potential, so many things to watch as they develop and unfold. Um, thank you both, uh, Alice Hartley, uh, Dr. Gary Adams. Thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing a, a peek into what you're doing and, and what's ahead. Yeah, and I, I do want to just touch on uh, Alice. I, I, I don't envy, and then I also do envy your position of where you are and what you're able to accomplish over there. It is... Um, it, it can't be any easy feat, and uh, I'm sure that you're getting as much praise as you are uh, disgruntled people that just don't understand what goes into um, navigating a, a ship uh, the size of yours. So, you know, I, I appreciate both of you guys and, and the, the work that you're doing to maybe steer us Amen. towards a more ethical future. Thanks. It's been fun to be here. Thank you. All right, that's it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business. I would say a pretty important conversation. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We we so appreciate it. Uh, until next time, for Pub and Ball. Take care, folks. I'm Mark Rico. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening.